one way or the other, even the bad people, but especially the good people that many times are victims of untruthful things. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. We are getting a major dose of wickedness, of evil coming out of Washington, D.C. There are so many things we must unpack today. So many things. And we're going to have a little assistance in our second hour. Steve Baker normally comes on every Tuesday in our second hour. Steve just moments ago confirmed he is available and he's going to be with us this morning at 10 o'clock central time. So make sure you get back here. What he's going to do, I really don't know the details, but I know he's up to his eyeballs and a bunch of stuff going on in D.C. Maybe, just maybe, he'll fill us in on some of the new things that we missed this week because he wasn't with us on Tuesday. So what do we have to talk about today? There's nothing happening. Well, we're going to weigh in on the obvious. What is the obvious, of course, is this Hunter Biden slash Joe Biden slash Biden family syndicate debacle. Layer upon layer upon layer of nastiness, untruths, lying, cheating, stealing. All of that made a big gumbo and if you don't know what gumbo is, it's one of the best things you can eat if it's cooked right by somebody that knows how to cook it. And whoever cooked up the Biden gumbo did a horrible job because it's anything but tasty. In fact, I want to spit every time I talk about or think about some of the elements going along there. We got another bad guy in the news today. Did you forget about Sam Bankman Freed? You remember the founder, co-founder of FTX and hundreds of millions of people's dollars just mysteriously disappeared? Well, he's back in the news today, and you're not going to believe this. You're, you're going to go frosted when I tell you what is happening regarding Sam Bankman-Fried. Alejandro Mayorkas, our favorite Department of Homeland Security Secretary, he was fried yesterday. I mean, by multiple members of the House of Representatives that had him in committee hearing. You're going to hear from Matt Gates from Florida and Mike Johnson from our 4th Congressional District here in Northwest Louisiana as they put Mayorkas on the hot seat. So what time is it out there? I mean, come on now. You got to watch. These guys back in the 60s told you what time it is. It's time of the season, right? It's the time of the season When love runs high In this time, give it to me easy And let me try with pleasured hands To take you in the sun To promised lands To show you everyone It's the time 
What's your name? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? He rich. Is he rich like me? Has he taken us any time? song you just heard those guys the zombies they were good musicians especially the organist you heard that i can even tell you the kind of organ it was on a hammond b3 that had the leslie speakers oh my gosh it was incredible you heard him turn that and you can hear the whoop whoop going on that's that leslie speaker that horn within it that does the air displacement i bet you woke up this morning hoping i would tell you something like that Oh, my gosh. Well, good news. We got Steve Baker joining us in the second hour, and I'm sure he's got a lot of really good things to drop on us. I want to point something out before we get into the meat of the day. The Federal Reserve hiked yesterday its benchmark for Fed funds rate. 
and they bumped it up a quarter of a percentage point. But they skipped the previous hike, bringing the rate to the highest level since 2001. 2001. What were you doing in 2001? That doesn't seem like a long time ago. That was 22 years ago. This rate hike, it brings the Fed's target rate within a range of five and a quarter to five and a half percent, making this the 11th hike since just March of 2022 after they temporarily paused the rate increases in June. Most economists anticipated a quarter point interest rate hike as part of the ongoing effort to bring inflation down, bringing the high end of the range to the highest rate since 2001. That's according to the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. So what does this mean to you? It means you're going to pay more. You're going to pay more for everything. Everything. You're going to buy a new car. You're going to finance it. You're going to pay more. Your credit cards. You know, in many ways, credit card interest was not a bad deal if you kept up with the payments or you were able to pay bigger amounts and pay those payments on time. But now, Interest rates on credit cards are through the roof. Far too many Americans are paying their bills, their monthly bills, at least in part with a credit card. That is not a good thing. Now, you want to hear the oxymoron in this conversation? Yesterday, the stock market zoomed higher. Now, you would think it would be the exact opposite, right? Well, they got happy on Wall Street, because the Federal Reserve president, he said this would probably be the last hike of interest rates this year. So Wall Street got all excited. Don't ask me why. I get it, because people who have a lot of money, a lot of people that have a lot of money, keep a lot of their money in cash or in accounts, not buying stocks, but in some kind of financial instrument. And when the interest rates go up, what happens? They make more money. Tell you a true story. Back in 1979, who was in the White House then? Anybody remember? Jimmy Carter. Highest interest rates in my lifetime. True story. We were moving from Ruston, Louisiana to Bastrop, Louisiana. And we had a friend in the mortgage business and we had financed a home with him in Ruston, Louisiana, and we got a very low rate. The rate that we got was 6.5%. Now, that doesn't sound low now, but it, it back then was amazingly low. Mortgage interest rates at that time were as high as 15%. So when we got ready to sell our home, you know, buyers out there, they've got to factor in the high interest rates because of what it'll do to their payments, their interest goes up so high, it makes the payments far higher than they may have been able to pay a few years ago before then. And so a couple wanted to buy this home. And even though that loan, that mortgage rate on that home, when we got it, it did not specify that the loan was assumable. And few mortgage companies or banks were allowing assumptions to be assumed on homes at the same rate, because the rates were going up, they were having to pay. Banks were having to pay more to get that money. But this was a privately owned mortgage company. So I called my friend and begged him, instead of 15%, 
which is what everybody was paying in Ruston for home mortgages in, he let this couple, he let this couple assume our loan at six and a half percent. Those kind of days, those kind of things, pretty rare today. Life in the United States has changed dramatically. That was back in 1979. Wow. So where are we going to go this morning? Well, I wanted to give you the financial news because the rest of it is just filthy. And yes, of course, we're going to talk about the plea bargain deal and all that stuff. Let's start right here. I'm going to get you thinking. So just in case you haven't heard the Hunter Biden plea bargain deal, it collapsed yesterday. And with that, Hunter is looking at something that he's been able to evade for five years now. What's that? A real prosecution and being really held accountable for his actions. The plea bargain itself was widely panned as a sweetheart deal. I was one of those that said, neither you nor me would ever get a deal like that. The only reason he was getting it was because his last name is Biden. And it offered him a chance to close out the investigation, the plea deal did, serving no jail time, and only two minor misdemeanors. They were throwing out, basically, the federal gun charge, which was a felony. However, it's hard for a plea bargain to actually write a wink and a nod as a part of the formal factual description, which that, getting out of all that stuff, and any future possible uh, legal trouble, it was discussed verbally between the prosecution and the defense team, but it was never put in writing. The judge yesterday made a simple threshold inquiry on its meaning. And when she asked that question and got the answer, it immediately collapsed as the prosecutors and defense counsel struggled to explain to the judge what was going on. If the DOJ followed its past practice, a withdrawal of this kind ordinarily results in the prosecutors going crazy and start pursuing every possible criminal count there could possibly be. And serious jail time, by the way. But Hunter's sudden exposure to equal justice could prove equally costly for the person who was not even mentioned in this case hearing yesterday. Who might that be? President Joe Biden. Starting with his campaign for the presidency, and continuing until recently, Joe Biden has maintained one clear and consistent position on his son's influence peddling schemes. As a virtual mantra, Biden and the White House staff, top to the bottom, have categorically maintained the president had no knowledge of any foreign dealings of his son, period. In fact, Joe, after a while of telling people and answering that way, I never talked to my son's business people. I never talked to my son or my brother about their foreign business deals. And he was still getting asked about it. He popped off at one reporter. I mean, very nastily. That whole thing, that whole statement, all the lies, all the times he said it, has been proven to be a lie itself. But Joe Biden continued to maintain that position. But on the eve of the testimony of a key Biden associate, the White House has changed its position. 
Now the president is only claiming that he was never in business with his son. Now, some of us in journalism, we've written multiple columns and articles over the last four years, and in those, we argue that the president was clearly and knowingly lying in those denials of knowledge and discussions of those deals. Even when he made the statement, it was clearly untrue. But most of the media... They shrugged it off and just happily walked away. But there was this little thing that just kept sneaking out of the darkness and it began to get really high, really, really high. And what is that? Evidence. The laptop includes pictures and appointments of Hunter's Foreign Business Associates uh, with Joe Biden. There's also a recording of Joe Biden talking about a New York Times report on December 12th of 2018. And that details Hunter's dealings with Yi Jianming, the head of CEFC, China Energy Company. And Joe assures his son that, quote, I think you're clear after lawyers worked on the New York Times before the story ran. There is another recording of his uncle James, Jim, assuring Hunter that he and his father were going to arrange for safe harbor for him as his world began to collapse. And then there is the July 30th of 2017 WhatsApp message from Hunter to one of his Chinese associates, Henry Zhao, the director of Harvest Fund Management and a Communist Party official in China. Zhao was funneling money to Hunter's firm, BHR Partners. And Hunter is quoted as writing from that WhatsApp message, quote, I am sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made hasn't been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand. And now means tonight. And Z, that's Zhang, If I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction. I'm sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Nevertheless, the White House has maintained the total denial until this week, before the testimony coming, we're told on Monday, of Devin Archer. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre was asked by journalist Jillian Turner, quote, Chairman James Comer today says the Oversight Committee has evidence that the president in the past communicated directly with foreign business associates of his son, Hunter, many times. Curious if the White House and the President still stand behind his comment that he's never been involved and has never even spoken to his son about his business. And Jean-Pierre's response was a bit puzzling and very surprising. Here's what she said, and I'm going to quote her. So, I've been, I've been asked this question a million times. The answer is not going to change. The answer remains the same. The president was never in business with his son. I just don't have anything else to add. 
think about it. It takes an utter contempt for the intelligence of the public to insist that the answer remains the same and then give an entirely new and different answer. However, that is, that is only if most of the public is informed of the contradiction. None of the media in the White House press corps followed up on Turner's question when Jean-Pierre immediately moved on. So if that is now the new spin of the president, it's about three or four years too late, don't you, don't you think? The president assured the public repeatedly and over and over again that he never discussed or knew of these dealings, even as evidence mounted that tells the opposite story. He made this false denial part of his presidency and having his staff echo the same denials to the press and the public. One thing you got to say is they were consistent until Jean-Pierre changed the sentence this week. As allegations of bribery and influence peddling swirl even today around the White House, this pattern of dishonesty and denial can become a basis for impeachment inquiries, as it was within President Richard Nixon. It's tempting to say that Biden is being too clever by half, but this was never particularly clever. Biden was counting on the media watching his back and hoping that he could hold both houses of Congress. The problem is, the media blackout wasn't total, and he lost the House. Now these denials and conflicting accounts are threatening the possibility that he could lose much more than his political standing. If the evidence continues to contradict his blanket denials, Biden could lose, and probably will lose his residency at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Just some words for your consideration this morning as we wade into all of this. So as we all know by now, the Hunter deal, the plea deal yesterday, a lot of people were saying it's gone, it's over. Well, not so. Not so. It officially has been put on hold, still in place, talking about negotiating right now some tweaking of it, but don't think that the judge threw it out totally. It's still hanging out there. Well, an unexpected twist today in the case against President Biden's son, Hunter. The 53-year-old showed up to a federal court in Delaware ready to plead guilty on two tax charges. But the judge hearing the case expressed concern over a related agreement on a more serious gun possession charge. Then Biden decided to plead not guilty, ending the day with no plea deal. Hunter Biden is a private citizen, and this was a personal matter for him. As we have said, the president, the first lady, they love their son, and they support him as he continues to rebuild his life. We've had whistleblowers from the IRS come say the Biden family was treated differently and that other things were going on. 
So for more on what happened today, uh, a really kind of a, a surprise here, we're going to bring in our chief legal analyst, Khalif Rhodes. So first off, what was the judge's concern here uh, that made them kind of hesitate to take that plea? Well, well, obviously, when you come into court, you're expecting that your client will walk in and, and have a plea deal. And mm -hmm. so that we see that did not happen today. But when the judge had a couple of concerns, she pointed to, well, will this have immunity for the entire duration? Is there any pending investigations? And there really wasn't an answer. And, and that can typically be normal. And typically you wouldn't have a judge to pinpoint the issue where both sides have probably already discussed. And so, yes, today was definitely not what Hunter Biden and his team had anticipated. You can guarantee they went over the plea deal with him. You can guarantee that both sides, the, the prosecutor and the defense attorney, had talked about what their expectations were. But there was probably some wiggle room or ambiguity that needed to be ironed out. And they hoped that the judge would not have looked at it with a magnifying glass. In this case, she did. And in response to her answers, they didn't have an answer. They had nothing to give her. And so at one point, they actually took a brief recess and took a timeout to try to come up like on the fly with a negotiated plea. They came back to court and they weren't able to come up with a negotiated plea. And so then he entered a guilty plea. That doesn't mean it's over. Mm -hmm. That just means for today, we're not going to have a plea that's entered pursue it to this negotiated plea. Well, this has been such a high profile case. Everything has been focused on this. So how often do we see such a big pivot in a big case like this? Um, I don't know if you'll see big pivots like this most of the time with a big case. You would want every I, you know, <laughs> dotted and every T crossed, you know, but, um, Things happen. You go to court with the expectation you can game plan for it, just like any big event. And then it, something could happen that throws you off. And then because a judge has discretion to dis, to not allow a plea to go forward, you're always kind of on pins and needles. Well, will this go through? Will this go through? Will this go through? At one point, his attorney said, Your Honor, we're anxious and we're hopeful for this deal to go through. Like, we want this to be over. Um, but she didn't like a couple of things, specifically that they even referenced this gun deal um, because because this was really a plea to the taxes, mm -hmm. but they wanted it to be known that, listen, there's also this gun deal that's out there and we're trying to have them in this deferred prosecution program. Is there a way or is there any concern? And it sounds like the judge is saying, well, hey, why are we doing this? Is this even constitutional? Am I allowed to touch this? She want, he wanted to make sure he protected himself. And I don't think either side was ready for the answers that the judge had. Yeah, I don't think anyone was really ready for that, including us here. So as we heard from Kevin McCarthy earlier, Republicans think that the Biden family um, in this whole investigation is getting some special treatment. We know there's an investigation into an investigation, but now we're calling for another investigation. So what's next here for Hunter? Whoever's heading up these investigations, I know their billable hours are probably through the roof. So that's the, probably where we can first start. Um, but right now, because we're at a polarizing point in this country, everything is extremely far apart. Anything would have happened with this case. Even if he would have had a deal that went through today, there would have been folks on the side that would have said, you know what, we don't like the deal. We can't believe it happened. And so... I'm really not moved by the, the urge to have a new investigation on top of this already investigation. But what I can say is hopefully at some point this gets behind him as a, as a client um, and as an attorney that represents folks in these situations. You want to put them in a situation um, and advise them of what can happen. So I know his defense team is now trying to at least, you know, cover what occurred today and make sure that, listen, for the next time that there's a hearing set, hopefully in the next 14 to 20 days, that it gets done, that there's a deal done, and this case can be behind them. Yeah, having those things kind of buttoned up and, and ready to go. All right, Khalif, thank you so much. Tara? Just a note, the judge said that she wanted that deal put together and everybody back in her court within 30 days.
look, things at the federal level don't normally happen that quickly. I don't honestly see unless Hunter is just going to basically throw in the towel and say, okay, whatever you do is whatever you're going to do. I'm going to go to the uh, side of this for just a minute. I told you if you were here, I'm trying to think of when it was. It's the end of July, the end of May, before June 1st. I told you that at some point in this, Joe Biden was going to throw Hunter under the bus. Now, a lot of people laughed at me. I got a lot of negative responses saying that a father would never do that to his son. But listen, when in Biden's career has he ever done anything on a political level that made a lot of sense? First of all, number one, you need to recognize Joe's all about Joe. No, Dan, he's a family man. He loves his son. He loved Bo. Yeah, he loved Bo. If he was a family man, I'm a family man. I have three children, six grandchildren. My grandchildren, my kids are not perfect, were not perfect, and I didn't expect them to be perfect. But you know what? Regardless, they're my grandchildren. Joe Biden's got a granddaughter he has never even met will not allow her name to be spoken in the White House. And when he's talking about his grandchildren, he cuts the true number of his biological grandchildren by one because he won't even admit that she's his granddaughter. I thought Joe was a family man. No, he's not a family man. Now, what he's going to do, he's going to call this, I'm going to look after and take care of my son and The evidence is overwhelming. So what are we going to do? Well, I'm the president of the United States. Here's what we'll do. Because I love Hunter so much, and because I've said over and over again, he's the smartest man I've ever met, which is an oxymoron in itself. I'm going to figure out how I can save him and be the hero. So he calls Hunter in and says, son, I've been talking to our experts around, our legal beagles, and here's what we think we need to do, what's best for you, how we can make all of this go away. You need to just go ahead and accept responsibility for it all. You're going to be sentenced. Yep, you're going to be sentenced. But don't forget, I'm the president of the United States, and I can give anybody leniency, and I can pardon you, and I will pardon you, And it can never be held against you ever again legally. We can make all this go away. I think that's about to happen. So let me tell you who else is really in a crack over this. The Department of Justice. Jonathan Turley. I don't know if you know who he is. He is a really good constitutional attorney. And he's not a Republican. He's one of those right down the middle, I'm going to vote for the, uh, I'm not going to vote for the candidate, I'm going to vote for the policies of whoever I'm looking at to elect in any election. Turley said this, he pointed this out, it stuck with me. This is really a case of the Department of Justice being hoisted on its own uh, platform because the DOJ needs to say there's an ongoing investigation to stop giving information 
That's what they do. That's the card they play all the time. If there's an ongoing investigation and anybody in the DOJ, like uh, FBI Director for Chris Wray or even Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, they're testifying before Congress or even doing a television interview. Well, I'm sorry. We've got an ongoing investigation and I can't comment any further on it. DOJ needs that element in this whole thing. But this judge yesterday, she immediately called him on it and said, well, what is it? The Hunter Biden team said publicly that they believe this was a closed out plea agreement, which is what Turley said I would have negotiated as defense counsel. There's no way I would agree to a plea agreement where we didn't close out the charges. Otherwise, you've got Damocles' sword hanging over your client's head. And the Hunter Biden people said, that was our understanding. There's nothing further involving our client. But that's inconsistent with the DOJ, which is using the ongoing element. You know, we can't talk about this. It's ongoing. There is an ongoing federal investigation in Hunter Biden. They said that in hearings last week. And now they can't say that to hold off Congress. They've got to answer questions when they're asked before a congressional committee under oath. This is really a problem. And it's a problem of the Department of Justice's own making. They want to cap off this case and get rid of it. But they also want to pretend that it's ongoing. And you can't have that ambiguity with a federal judge. So Merrick Garland is in quite a pickle. And between you and me, just between you and me, don't tell anybody in Washington that I said this. But I don't think Merrick Garland has the ability, the reasoning power, the understanding to figure out a way to take care of all this. I think he's in over his head. I've thought that from the very beginning. He was a judge. He's not a lawyer, and he's certainly not a good attorney general. So the big question remains, is there any way that this plea deal that they put out there yesterday, that the judge kicked to the curb, is there any way to salvage it? So Hunter Biden's day in court did not go as we all anticipated, or at least as Hunter and his lawyers anticipated, as, as the sweetheart plea deal was rejected by a judge. Hunter then pleaded not guilty, and perhaps we will have a trial after all. With me now is former Deputy Assistant Attorney General Tom Dupree for more analysis. Good to see you, Tom. So I want to talk about the judge for a second who, who stepped in here and said that this plea deal doesn't make sense, and then essentially it fell apart. Judge Mariellen Norica. Now, she was appointed by Donald Trump, but she is a registered Democrat, and she was approved of by, by Delaware's Democrats. So uh, I don't think they're going to be able to charge her with being biased uh, against the Biden administration, will they? I agree. I don't think they will. Look, this is a serious judge. She's thoughtful. I don't think anyone could call her a partisan actor in any sense. And what she did today, I think, David, was really in the best traditions of our federal judiciary, that she acted as an independent judge. She didn't merely rubber stamp the documents that Hunter Biden's lawyer in the Justice Department gave her, but she kicked the tires on the deal. She needed to satisfy herself that it was in the interest of justice. She felt she didn't have enough information to make that decision. So she gave the party some homework assignments and 
kicked him out. <laughs> well, the U.S. attorney who, who put all this together over a five-year period, which is much too long for the charges, frankly, David Weiss, he also was a Trump appointee. And in fact, a lot of Democrats say that just proves that he wasn't working for the Biden administration, for the Biden Justice Department. But it, it clearly, from the, this judge's perspective, the judge who, who killed the, the plea deal, uh, she seemed to, to be saying that, didn't she? That they, in fact, were working more like, like helpful attorneys for Hunter rather than, than prosecutors. Well, and one of the most telling exchanges to my mind today was where the judge asked the DOJ lawyers, is there any precedent for this agreement that you're asking me to approve today? And the Justice Department lawyers had to look at her and say, no, there isn't, Your Honor, which completely mm -hmm. devastated their argument all along that this case has been handled in a normal fashion, that Hunter Biden wasn't getting any special treatment. When push came to shove and they were called on it by the judge, who said, has this sort of agreement ever been approved before? They had to say no. Absolutely. And now, presumably, you'll have a trial. And with trial comes discovery. And maybe we'll find out more about what relationship Joe Biden had with his son's business deals. I mean, is that, isn't that a, conceive, a, a possibility based on what's happened in the past couple of months? Absolutely. Uh, what today told us is that this is not the final chapter by any means, that there are many more chapters probably to be written in this long story. I think the immediate question is whether it's possible for the Hunter Biden's team and the DOJ lawyers to somehow salvage this deal, to work out some agreement that passes muster that this judge is willing to sign off on. If they do that, they could potentially avoid a trial, at least on the tax and the gun charges. Yeah. But of course, to your point, that's not going to get rid of all the other right. stuff that's been swirling around. And Tom, very quickly, is Hunter now going to be liable for that 2014 to 2015 period when apparently was paid all this money by uh, Burisma folks? It, it appears so. In other words, that was the big question. Yeah. She said, does this give him a get out of jail free card for all of that stuff? The Justice Department said, no, it doesn't. So that's the way yeah. it's going to go. Well, sometimes something look, is too good to be true. It looked that way and it turns out it really was uh, too bad for Hunter. All right, Tom Dupree, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Something else the judge popped off with yesterday. She gave old Hunter some advice. She told him that he must actively seek employment and not use drugs in order to stay out of custody. The judge, Norieka, Judge Mary Ellen Norieka, ordered the first son to actively find a job. Not use alcohol or illicit drugs. Submit to random drug testing. Not possess a firearm. And submit to supervision by the Central District of California as part of her condition for his release. Yeah, he pled not guilty. Those charges are still standing against him. There are a lot of moving parts on this that are still out there. And a lot of people, in fact, including the judge, the prosecutors, and his defense team, they don't know what the heck is going on or what to do. And let me tell you where I am on all this. I am ready to go get a bag of popcorn and a big diet Pepsi and sit in front of the television screen and watch this all play out. This is like a movie, a really good movie. <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want anybody to get in deep trouble, but I want everybody to pay the consequences for what they did. I don't care. 
Oh my gosh, there's another little conundrum that uh, I saw when I was watching this stuff all day long during the show yesterday. We told you if you were here, we had a live camera on the front of that courthouse in Wilmington, Delaware, and we were watching and waiting for any people to come out that would give the press, and obviously we would have been able to throw it on live for you, any information about what was happening inside, and nothing happened. More than three hours the judge kept them all together in that courthouse. But something just popped into my eyes and understanding. On the street, right in front of the courthouse, the front door of the courthouse, there was a string of cars, black cars. And there was a host of men dressed in black suits and even two women dressed in black dresses and jackets. Secret Service. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hunter Biden's a private citizen. Yeah, his dad's president of the United States, but he doesn't live at the White House. He's 50 years old, 53 years old. Jean, Corinne Jean-Pierre, she said yesterday in a press briefing, this is a private matter. Hunter Biden is a private citizen. The president has nothing to say. I'm a private citizen. I don't have Secret Service protection. And I certainly don't have a motorcade to go with me everywhere I go, grocery store or a federal courthouse. Of course, I don't think I've ever even been in a federal courthouse. Nevertheless, Private citizen? Uh, I don't know about that. What's the biggest number you can think of? A trillion, billion, zillion. That's pretty big. How about you? Ten. Okay. How about you? Infinity. Can you top that? Infinity and one. Actually, we are looking for infinity plus infinity. Sorry. What about infinity times infinity? It's not complicated. Bigger is better. And AT&T has the nation's largest 4G network. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I wasn't I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, Jesus. Supermodels. What are you modeling? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Missing persons. Missing persons? Missing persons. My wife is missing. Your wife is missing? My wife is missing. When did you last see her? Four o'clock. Four o'clock. Four o'clock. Where's your TV, sir? The bedroom. Have you looked in the bedroom, sir? Uh... No. She's probably watching Madlock. Madlock is on at 4 o'clock? Every weekday at 4 on Channel 2. Go check your bedroom, sir. I'll wait. Okay.
I'm here. She's watching Matlock. I thought so. I didn't know Matlock was on at 4 o'clock. Every weekday at 4 on Channel 2. She really likes Andy Griffith. Of course she does. She must be so engrossed by Matlock, she forgot to tell me where she was. Tell her I understand. Okay, I'll be right back. No, I didn't mean... Uh, sir? Matlock, every weekday at 4 on Channel 2. Because there's nothing like a good mystery. I'm hanging up now, sir. Hello? TNN, when only the truth will do. TNN, the Truth News Network. Have you ever noticed in your life when something really bad is going on? Maybe in your family, maybe in your business, maybe at work, maybe with friends and bad things go on. It seems like once the layers need and are getting peeled off of it, there's always a layer underneath that we never knew was there. Well, guess what? One of those just happened to show up as we peeled the Hunter Biden onion yesterday. Hunter has been linked to several companies that tried to get privileged treatment from the Delaware state government while his daddy, Vice President Joe Biden, was in office. Now, this came from emails from the laptop. Hunter served as a mediator for companies in Delaware that were looking to bounce back from the recession of 08 by personally contacting the Delaware Economic Development Office. Hunter Biden's involvement in foreign business dealings, including his time on the board of Burisma, and his dealings with Chinese company CEFC have previously been heavily reported on, but his personal involvement in Delaware's business hadn't received any coverage. So, the Delaware News Journal was the first to report on the emails about Hunter's business connections in Delaware. They published a story on the topic Monday of this week. The conversations between the president's son and state officials don't appear to violate any laws, but most people in politics that care about ethics, the E-word ethics, take pains to avoid such a situation. Those emails show that Hunter directly interacted with Delaware government officials while he was working with his financial firm, Rosemont Seneca Partners as well as other officials using Hunter's name in correspondence about business dealings. In one April 12th of 2010 email, 13 years ago, a DEDO staffer named Patricia Cannon told Hunter that they would pull out the stops for two of his client companies, Ducool and Aqua Sciences, as they considered moving to Delaware. DEDO was a Delaware government cabinet-level agency responsible for finding new businesses. Quote, Patty, thanks for a great meeting. They are excited to explore the opportunities Delaware has to offer. Talk to you soon. That was Hunter responding in an email. I promise to pull out the stops, the woman responded directly by Hunter Biden's Rosemont Seneca email. The Biden-DEDO connection goes all the way back to when Joe was a U.S. senator. His brother-in-law, Bruce Saunders, credited the now president with securing his appointment as director of DEDO back in the 70s. Hunter's lawyer didn't respond to an inquiry about this. Go 
figure. <laughs> and Cannon's current employer happens to be the Delaware Division of Small Business. They told us the division has no comment. None of this should surprise us. In fact, I'm one of those people, I'm probably like a lot of you, I've just been waiting for it to open up. Yeah, kind of felt that way. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Isn't it nuts? It's absolutely crazy how these people just think they're going to get away with everything. I don't see them getting away with everything, do you? In fact, in this case... I don't see them getting away with anything. And the book is still open. And there's a whole lot more to come. Now, our favorite person in the Biden cabinet is back on the hot seat. In fact, he's on more than one hot seat right now. Who am I talking about? Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Before I get into yesterday's committee hearings, I'm going to let you hear two different question sessions with Mayorkas in just a second. And you may want to go pop some popcorn real quick and sit down with this because this is really good. Matt Gates and Congressman Mike Johnson, both of them separately, they put Mayorkas on the hot seat and it got ugly. But just to set Another little conundrum for Mr. Mayorkas for you. A legal group has sued the Biden administration for concealing FBI background investigations into Mayorkas. America First Legal Foundation sued the Biden administration yesterday for concealing information regarding an FBI investigation into DHS Secretary Mayorkas. The lawsuit against both the FBI and the DOJ asked that the agencies release the documents related to their probe into Mayorkas. The conservative group was previously denied a FOIA, that's a Freedom of Information Act request, for the records regarding the FBI's investigation into Mayorkas's background. Here's a quote. The American people deserve to have access to the files we requested to understand the extent to which Secretary Mayorkas disclosed his foreign ties and contacts, among other things. Disclosing these records is consistent with what the FBI did during the Trump administration when it released portions of the SF-86 for then Attorney General Jeff Sessions. So there is simply no reason why they should not provide the same info for Mayorkas. That's from Gene Hamilton, American First Legal Vice President and General Counsel. The lawsuit's timing coincides with increasing calls from Republicans in Congress to impeach Mayorkas, mainly for his handling of the security of our southern border. How is he handling the security of our southern border? Hey, it's easy. Just open the gates and let them come in. That's not really technically what he's doing, but in reality it is. One of the issues this group cites is an inspector general's report from way back in 2015 found that Alejandro, while serving as the director of the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, had personally intervened 
outside the normal adjudicatory process to help foreign investors in the EB-5 visa program who were connected to, here we go, top Democrats. Secretary Mayorkas's abysmal performance has led to the introduction of several impeachment resolutions in Congress. That's from America's First Legal. They said that in a statement. The Secretary's dereliction of duty regarding our immigration system has turned America into a borderless nation, and every state is feeling the consequences of allowing millions of illegals to flood into the U.S., While Americans are dying at the hands of illegal aliens that should never have been allowed to enter America, the Biden administration and Secretary Mayorkas have turned a blind eye. They submitted a FOIA request to the FBI January 6th for the background investigation, Form SF-86, and any supporting security clearance documentation, including waiver forms completed by Alejandro Mayorkas or his designees for the purpose of allowing the FBI to conduct a background investigation as part of his nomination. The FBI, they responded. I mean, they filed that FOIA request January 6th. The week later, the 13th, ain't going to give it to you. No explanation. Just said you're not going to get it. America First Legal appealed the denial for the reason that the records were submitted to Congress But the FBI said, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going to get it, which is illegal. But you know what? The FBI, they really don't give a rip about what anybody thinks about what or why they do and don't do what they do and don't do. Why? Christopher Wray, I'm the FBI director. We do what I say to do. The rest of y'all, y'all just sit down and shut up. Wow. So what about Mr. Mayorkas? What about him being in front of a congressional hearing yesterday? Florida Congressman Matt Gates. Um, I don't think there's any love loss between Gates and Mayorkas. Mayorkas, he is one of the smoothest pontificators in politics I've ever seen. Substance, he doesn't give a rip about facts or substance. He says what comes to top of mind. But Gates yesterday was committed not to let Mayorkas off easy. Two million encounters and releases under your watch. So not including the Title 42 expulsions, not including violent criminals. Of those two million plus that you've encountered and released, how many have you told to go home? Um, uh, Congressman, uh, individuals who are released are placed in immigration enforcement proceedings under the law where they can make their claim for relief. If their claim for relief is not satisfied, they are subject to removal from the United States. Right. Subject to removal sounds very different than actually removed. So I'm not interested in the process. I'm not interested in what people are subject to. Two million people encountered and released, not the expulsions under Title 42, not the criminals. How many of those people have you deported? So, uh, Congressman, a few points. Number one. Just how many of the people? I just want to know how many. It's just a number. Congressman, uh, we are dealing 
with a completely broken immigration system. I get system. it. I, no, 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 Mr. Secretary, I'm not going to let you burn my five minutes. Do you know the answer? Do you know the number of people out of that two million that you've removed that aren't criminals? I do know that okay. we have removed more aggravated felons. Right, I'm not asking about them. You, you, I, I've caveated that away. Because here's what I'm, I'm sort of getting and what your non-responsiveness is demonstrating. The Mayorkas doctrine is this. If you show up at the border and get released into the country, if you don't commit a specific aggravated felony, which by the way, doesn't include a lot of assault and battery, doesn't include a lot of bad domestic violence, but if you're not one of the people who commit those crimes, you get to stay forever. Is, is that a fair characterization of your doctrine? No, that is false. Then tell me how many you're sending home. No, that is false. Okay, well, they, but you don't know the number of how many you've sent home. Here's another number. Two point, I'm sorry, 1.2 million people today have been through your entire process, right? They've been through what you call a removal proceeding is just an amnesty dance. Because after the 1.2 million people get an order from the judge saying that they don't have a basis to be here, you still don't remove them. Like, what's your plan to remove those people? Congressman, that is false. Okay, how many of them then? Just Cong give me the number. Congressman, in this country, in this country, there are between 11 and 12 million. Right, but I'm asking about a subset that you won't send home. And the reason you're smirking about it and the reason you won't answer my question is because everybody gets the joke. And the sad thing is it's not just us here, it's the cartels who get the joke too. And so now what you've done to execute this Mayorkas doctrine where so long as you don't commit a crime, you get to stay here and burden our hospitals, burden our schools, burden our social services, burden our jails. You've sent the message to the cartels and then you've taken this app and you've digitized illegal immigration and you've scaled it to the moon. Like this app that you've got everybody downloading is like the Disney fast pass into the country, never to be subject to actual removal, just removal proceedings as you call them. That app doesn't do any search of their criminal history in their home country, does it? Congressman, I, I disagree with everything you have said. Well, I'm sure, but just answer the question. Does the app that you are out there promoting do any search of people's criminal history in their home country? Congressman, Customs and Border Protection screens and vets individuals whom they encounter. Your thoroughly. app, it either has the functionality to test their criminal history in their home country or it doesn't. By the way, if it did, you'd have already told me. It doesn't. And then the other epic failure of this that's empowered the cartels is that in these processing centers you've set up in other countries to just wave them all in at a rapid pace, You've had to shut them down in Nuevo Laredo because the cartels were standing outside extorting people. Isn't that right? Congressman, that is false. Oh, really? So why did you shut down that facility in Nuevo Congressman, Laredo? And the, the point of safe, orderly, and lawful pathways is to reduce the number of encounters at our southwest border. But, but wait a second. You've, you, you, what, you've just shifted those encounters. Because right now, for the first time in modern history, more people are showing up at the ports of entry than running through some bush in Yuma, Arizona. And the reason they're showing up at the ports of entry is because you've got the turnstile open where so long as they've gone and downloaded this app, you just let them in. I got one final question for you, and it's an important one. Is Mexico an ally in this fight against illegal immigration? Uh, yes, it is. So, I mean, it's hilarious and somewhat troubling that you say that because like, I'm looking at the El Chapo trial where President Nieto took a $100 million bribe from the Sinaloa cartel. Do you think that the subsequent presidents following Nieto weren't offered a bribe by the cartel or didn't take the bribe? Congressman, I, I disagree with everything you have said. Uh, right, right but, but you can disagree all you want, but what you won't provide is any number. 
And when, when you sit there and just kind of ostensibly disagree without any facts, it shows people what the real gig is. The Mexican government is captive to the cartels. They are doing the bidding of the cartels. And based on your response today, so are you. <laughs> based on your response today, you're doing the bidding of the cartels. That's Matt Gates getting all over Secretary Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Well, if you join us late, we have a special surprise for you. Steve Baker's going to join us in just a couple of minutes. We're going to take this break. When we come back right before Steve joins us, you're going to hear, if you think Matt Gates got after Alejandro Mayorkas, wait till you hear Congressman Mike Johnson. Don't go anywhere. That's next. You're juvenile, mate. Everyone has one. The guy that's fun to be around, but he's dangerous to be around. You've got to keep him away from your things, like your tools, your gadgets, and your girlfriend. So before you get your juvenile mate around, get your lips around a dare iced coffee. The real Arabica and Robusta coffee kick will tell you what to do. Hire a jumping castle. Hours of fun for kids of all ages. A dare iced coffee fix will fix it. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Hello? Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step -step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Undeniably the go-to source for nonpartisan spin-free news from the world. TNN, the Truth News Network, puts it all together for you every day at truthnewsnet.org. That sounds a little weird there, that mystical music behind that. Anyway, Steve Baker will join us in just a couple of minutes, but I promised you you would hear two congressmen just drill Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. You just heard Florida's Matt Gates do so. But my friend and friend of the show and somebody that will be here with us live in the next couple of days, Mike Johnson. If you think Gates got after him, listen to Congressman Johnson. Secretary Mayorkas, we have the frustrating responsibility on this committee of providing oversight of your agency. But I have to be honest and tell you, I'm not sure exactly what you do 
at the Department of Homeland Security other than great harm. On your watch, the data is pretty clear. We've had record levels of illegal immigration, a rapid decline in deportations, skyrocketing fentanyl deaths across our country, and the Secret Service, which is a DHS component, can't determine who left cocaine at the White House. In the middle of all this, you created the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, CISA, which is a division of, 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 your, of DHS, and it's one of the Biden administration agencies that colluded with and coerced the social media companies to censor Americans' protected free speech online. That's specifically detailed in a 155-page court opinion that came out of the federal court in Louisiana in the landmark litigation of Missouri v. Biden. Have you read that court opinion? Uh, Congressman, no, I have not, and um, uh, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency does not censor speech. Okay, well, that's, the court found otherwise, and it's really curious to me, actually it's quite alarming that you haven't read the opinion, because your agency is listed in this opinion. The federal court looked at volumes of evidence over months of litigation, and they determined, among other things, that uh, if the allegations made by the plaintiffs, the states in this case are true, and, and hold on, the preliminary injunction was granted against your agency, sir, and other Biden administration agencies, including the DOJ and FBI, the court said it involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. And you're telling me this opinion issued July 4th has not reached your desk? No one's briefed you on it? Oh, I have been briefed on the Missouri litigation. Okay, but you haven't taken the time to read it yet. Congressman, um... No, hold on. Have you read it or not? I have read parts of it, Congress. Oh, parts of it. Did you read the parts where it said that this is Orwellian and dystopian and that your agency is involved in a massive cover-up of specifically conservatives' free speech online? Congressman, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is not involved in such conduct. Okay, well, the court found otherwise, and you stand here under oath and you give us these answers that we know were not true because this is demonstrably untrue. I'm suggesting to you that you're saying things to us under oath that are proven by the record to be untrue. Let me ask you about this specifically. Um, CISA was created to, uh, we call it the Misinformation and Disinformation Subcommittee of CISA. Are you familiar with that? Uh, MDM, the MDM subcommittee, is it, you're familiar with that? Congressman, I am very well aware of the threat of disinformation emanating from adverse nations. Are you states. familiar with the subcommittee? Just answer the question. I am. Okay. Does it still exist? Congressman, are you speaking of the... Does the MDM subcommittee still exist? Uh, I would have to get back to you on that. Okay. All right. Kind of a big deal in your agency. I'm sh uh, kind of shocked that you don't know the answer to that. Can you define what misinformation is? Congressman, uh, misinformation is false information that is disseminated uh, to... Uh, Excellent. Who determines what is false? Uh, Congressman, our focus... No, our who focus. determines what is false in your agency? Congressman. If you're going to pull something off the Internet and collude with a social media platform to make sure Americans don't see it, who determines what's false? Congressman, we don't do that. That's not true. That is not true. That is not what the court has found. This is not a Republican talking point. This is what the documents show. We've had people testify under oath that say, and you just define the term, you're telling me that you don't know who determines what is false? Congressman, what we do at CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, is identify the tactics that adverse nation states use to weaponize disinformation Okay, what is disinformation? What is disinformation? Disinformation is inaccurate information. Who determines what's inaccurate? 
Who determines what's false? Do you understand the problem here? The reason the framers of our Constitution did not create an exception for quote-unquote false information from the First Amendment is because they didn't trust the government to determine what it is. And you have whole committees of people in your agency trying to determine what they, de they determine, they define as false or misinformation. That is not true. Well, then what is true? What we Please do enlighten us. Is what we do is we disclose the tactics that adverse nation states are utilizing to weaponize no, information. No, sir. No, sir. The court found specifically it's a finding of fact that is not disputed by the government defendants. The Biden administration, your agency, the FBI, or DHS, not in the litigation. They determined you made, you and all of your cohorts made no distinction between domestic speech and foreign speech. So don't stand there and tell me under oath that you only focused on adverse, you know, uh, adversaries around the world, foreign actors. That's not true. Congressman, the, um, the Missouri case, the litigation to which you refer, is the, the subject of continuing litigation. But the facts were not disputed, and I so, so regret that I'm out of time. I hope I get some more yielded. I feel like. <laughs> uh, knowing Mike Johnson personally, I can tell you, it sounded like he was a little angry there. Nah, he's a Louisianian. What you just heard is a Northwest Louisiana boy that got pissed off. Steve Baker is joining us now. Happens to be another North Louisiana man. Are you okay today, sir? I'm good. <laughs> and, it, and it's always good to see some uh, hometown boys uh, fighting the good fight up there on Capitol Hill. Well, you know what they say. Let's see. You're from West Report, right? West Shreveport. <laughs> well, I'm. Uh, I was born in Willis Knighton Hospital. If that makes uh, a difference. I got you. Okay. Well, I spent most of my life, uh, adult life, living out in Houghton. You know, on the east side, kind of the redneck stuff. And uh, yeah, they had a great saying out there that. I guess Mike Johnson picked it up at some point in his life. He's younger than you and I, but anyway, that saying they have out in Houghton is it's better to be. Pissed off than pissed on. <laughs> That's right. That's an old Southern colloquialism. Well, sir, I know go. you've had a busy week this week, and uh, yeah, I uh, I don't like it when you're unable to be here because you get so much information. And you know, I I'm told all the time. People tell me all the time, how the heck do you get all the information that you talk about on the air or you post in the articles that you publish? And I said, it takes a lot of research. You've got to turn over a lot of rocks. And boy, they think I do a lot of research and turning over a lot of rocks. You, on the other hand, you're right in the middle of the swamp most of the time. If you're not in Washington physically, you're on the phone or you're doing Zoom meetings with people up there. How do you do it? <laughs> well, that, I can answer that question two ways. Number one, the, the, the question of how from a physical standpoint or a mental or emotional standpoint are two different, you know, two different concepts. I, I you know, I, obviously I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I wasn't passionate about discovery of truth. That's it. I mean, there's, there's no other driving motivation for doing what I'm doing. And that's it. I mean, I, I know that there are people that are in the business of uh, journalism or investigative journalism that could easily be identified as what they, you know, that, that popular term now is being a grifter. And, and there certainly are those out there that are doing that. 
I, I have had many conversations over the last few weeks, especially uh, with individuals who have rightly identified me as the opposite of a grifter because the work that I've been doing has cost me so much. I mean, it's bled me dry because, as you know, I don't have a I don't have a major media organization paying my bills. That may or may not change in the coming days, but the bottom line is is that I've been doing this on my own. And then when you get into the to the emotional, the psychological side of this, it's it's a hard thing to do. It's really frustrating when you're there in DC, just as I have been this week, and to run up against the bureaucracy that I have to fight in order to make the connections, make the contacts, have the conversations, set up the meetings. And look, the, the, the people up there are busy and they're not always focused on the things we want them to be focused on. I mean, for instance, there was a, there was a hearing yesterday on UFOs, right? You know, the congressional hearing on a UFO, quote unquote, a UFO whistleblower. Well, yeah, look, I'm a sci-fi guy. There's nothing would thrill me more than to see the absolute proof that we have been visited by, uh, uh, intelligent creatures from other planets and far more advanced uh, spacecraft than we are able to produce. All that, all that is fascinating to me, but it doesn't drive uh, what I'm doing right now. And the truth of the matter is I would far <laughs> rather see Congress focused on the weaponization of government against the American people and with a particular um, track into the remaining and still sitting out there mysteries of January 6th. And that's why I was in DC this week, not to chase UFO stories or UFO whistleblowers, but quite, quite the opposite, uh, dealing with things in the here and now on this planet in our, our own capital. I get asked pretty regularly, how do you, uh, how do you finance what you're doing with truth news network and TNN live? And I tell people, honestly, I've never monetized it, never tried to, don't want to unless I have to. And the reason I say that, and uh, I'll never forget, I was asked by a group of local politicians way back in, gosh, uh, the late 80s, early 90s, to run for state senator. In fact, the at that time, state senator was one of these guys two other men that I have great respect for. They walked in my office, and uh, this state senator was term-limiting out, and they wanted somebody, they wanted to try to handpick somebody to replace him. And they came in to tell me, we've decided we want and we'll support you and back you, and we want you to replace this senator. And I looked at him just started laughing. I said, guys, y'all know me. You think you really know me, but you don't really know me. Let me tell you why I won't do it. And I'm honored that you came here and that you actually felt confident that I could possibly do the job that the senator, and I won't mention his name because a lot of people know him, he did a good job, a really good job. I don't think I could do that, but I appreciate you thinking that. But the reason I can't do it, I would love to say it was my original thought, but several years ago I heard Rush Limbaugh on air he explained the exact thing that I felt at the same time. And when I heard Rush say it, I said, you know what? I relate to that myself. And sure enough, I had the, the same thing happen. A lot of people call Rush all the time and said, why don't you get into politics? And his answer was the same as mine. The same reason I'm 
doing it the way I'm doing it now at Truth News Network and TNN Live. I don't have enough money to run in a, a political race, even a statewide race. It takes a lot of money. Well, you just campaign and you go get contributions. And Rush said this, and I identify with it totally. I can't do that because I'm going to, if I come to you and ask you to give me $100 for my campaign, I don't care who you are. If I get elected at some point, you're going to make a call or you're going to see me somewhere and ask me for something, to do something, to look into something, and I'm going to be obligated. I'll feel obligated to you to maybe not do the whatever it is you're going to ask me to do, but to at least give you the time to sit down and have a conversation with it. And I can't be in politics and have that on my shoulder all the time. And that's why I haven't monetized this yet, because I don't want to get obligated to any big corporate sponsors or people that want to come in. I don't think I'm in a position now. And I'm I'm reached out to every week, as I'm sure you are pretty regularly too, people wanting to get you involved and get involved in what you're doing. If and when that happens, they too are going to expect some quid pro quo down the line. Yeah, I, I mean, even monster companies in media like Fox News. Fox News, many people think it's a big independent operation. It's not. It has some of the most evil stockholders on the planet, BlackRock and and a couple of the other big corporations. Um, but it was never designed to be a conservative news haven anyway. Rupert Murdoch, the owner, he owns Sky News. He's in Australia. But they do, and they did. They established Fox News because they were looking at a conservative niche, and they felt confident there were enough conservatives in the nation that would love to have their own mouthpiece for news, and they created Fox News. It's about the money. So, Steve, I know you're cashing some really big checks now for all the work that you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, another another one of the more flippant re- responses that Rush always had when he was uh, asked why he wouldn't go into politics was he always used to say, I can't afford the pay cut. Well, I'm not in that position. <laughs> uh, you know, Rush with his four hundred million dollar uh, contracts uh, genuinely was in a position where he didn't have to answer to anybody and he never did. He did it his way. And while I'm enjoying the liberty and the freedom to do it my way and to say what I feel like needs to be said when I feel like it's time to say it, um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not in that same position that Rush was in. And I don't Nor anticipate am I. that Nor I, am I. Yeah, I don't anticipate that I ever will be. But that that said, uh, the work goes on and I'm going to continue the process of uh of pushing through, um, and, and whatever it takes. And that's what I was doing this week up there. I had meetings with uh, congressional staffers and I had, um, uh, some really uh, intense high level, uh, meetings with uh, congressional investigators. These are different kinds of people. These aren't just, uh, people that run around making coffee for their congressmen. These are the ones that are doing the, the hard work. They're, retired uh, FBI agents, uh, retired uh, military intelligence, that sort of um, investigators who are working on the weaponization of the 
these various three-letter government agencies against the American people, and that's who I was meeting with this week, and that was the focus. And and nevertheless, even being granted and blessed with the access that I I had this week, you still walk away with this overwhelming feeling that am I able to make a difference if these stories that I'm bringing to them, if these these things that they know nothing about that are right under their nose because they are so busy, as I talked about earlier, they're being pulled in so many different directions, whether it's UFOs, whether it's, um, you know, Mayorkas uh, getting grilled yesterday or Christopher Ray getting grilled last week and having to sit through all of their lives and obfuscations of whatever the case may be. The, the preparations for those meetings and those hearings alone occupy hours upon hours upon hours of those staffers and those uh, Congress uh, members time. And so it's, um, you, you have to, you have to give them a little bit of grace, especially when you understand the, the complexity of what they're up against, especially when you understand that it's not just one subject. It's not just my pet subject or yours or, or any other listener on this, um, this broad that's listening to us today, Dan, everybody out there has something that's, that's important to them in their life that they wish they could get in front of a congressman and tell them their story and tell them what they need and what needs to be fixed, what needs to be changed. Well, you know what? There's 300 million plus people doing that to them. So with that uh, foundation laid, when you do finally crack the nut uh, to a certain extent and you're at least invited into their offices and you're at least given a chance to tell your story, uh, you have to accept that. Uh, you have to thank God for that access, and then you have to walk away from there and pray that uh, they somehow that your message resonated enough to take it to the next level. Because what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a fix. As I told you earlier, I'm looking for the truth to come out. I'm looking for people, as you know, with the work that I've been doing, particularly related to January 6th. I'm looking for people's lives that have been destroyed as a result of this to have have their lives repaired, this, whether they're Capitol Police whistleblowers or whether they're innocent defendants that were sentenced to 18 years in prison. That's what I'm working on. I'm looking for justice, you know, truth, justice, the American way. There you go. Um, I'm no Superman, but that's, that's what I'm trying to accomplish up there. And I want our listeners to understand something. Um, the big, big money people, the Rush Limbaugh's, uh, even the Megyn Kelly, she got a 20 million dollar a year contract to leave Fox News when she was doing that nighttime show and they put her in a a bust of a show they created a daytime talk show and she just didn't fit she's too in your face too much in your face and she's a conservative but they kept her less than one season and they had to pay out a three-year contract so they paid her $60 million to get half a season worth of talk show. Those are the rare examples of people in what we do making big money. It's just not there. So at some point, people like Steve and I, we've got to ask ourselves the question and come up with a real answer that's good enough, at least for us. The question is, how much is it worth to expend the effort and energy that we're spending to do something that we're doing, which we're doing it for the same reasons, both of us, to find the facts and to give the facts to as many people as we can that have been inundated for years now with everything but the truth about our political yeah. process. And at this point, 
in many ways, I think we're a lot alike. I think we resonate in each other's world because we think the same about that. It's worth it. Now, what I do here, I'm told all the time, all you do is five days a week, you go in there and you just turn on the show and you just start reading some news. (laughs) I wish it was that simple. Um, Yeah. Some days there is so much content that just falls out of the sky. I mean, like today, Steve and I could yeah. do it. We could do a 12 hour show and never double Dang. back and repeat anything. There is so much out there, but this isn't the normal news cycle in American politics. It's always there, but there are so moving, so many moving pieces that it's so important. And here's something that, I learned, and you and I have not talked about it, but I'm sure you experience the same thing. There are a lot of people in politics that love it like this because it's so busy. They can wave around their hands and holler and try to get the attention of everybody when the reality is what's important is actually, in the other hand, behind their back, that they're able to hide it from us because there's so much noise that captures our attention. We live in a world that is really not full of a bunch of really good people, especially in politics. People are going to act like people, good, bad, and ugly. We all fill that category, one of those three niches, every day of our lives. And so what I have to do, and I know what you do, I think when it comes to writing, you're much more studious than am I. I think in preparation for this show, for every hour you hear here, there's at least one hour, and it's usually an hour and a half in prep to get it ready. So instead of two hours a day, I'm spending three and a half to five hours a day to do this show. And it is a commitment. It's tough. I mean, I went to Israel back in February, spent 10 days there. I did the show every day live the hotel from where I was. I went to Zimbabwe, Africa two months ago. Every day I did the show from there. That meant when I was doing the things that I was doing over there, I still had to fill three to five hours of my day with a commitment to do this show. And you, my man, there are untold hours and miles that you have put on your vehicle the last couple of years, actually, I guess since January 6th, you and I spoke the week after January 6th. And uh, you've been on that trek ever since. And you've learned a lot. But a lot of people have learned about the truth in media and the fact that there's not a lot out there. And I think what you and I do in media, in political news media, written and verbally, and I think probably at some point there's television in this, I think it's critical for us to continue to honor our commitments to ourself, our fellow Americans, and our God to pursue the facts and give people what they need to really know. That's exactly it. We have to do it, and some of us are, and some of the people that we have uh, revered over the years or that we thought that we trusted are, are not to be trusted. I mean, we just, we just saw the revelation that uh, 
I think it was Glenn Beck and Blaze Media uh, rolled out last week, or just a, maybe not last week, just a few days ago, about Fox News and their matching contributions to uh, Planned Parenthood and to uh, the, the Church of Saint Temple, the Church of right, Saint. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we we think about these big organizations. You know, look, traveling all of these years, when I go to a hotel room. I, the first thing that I do is I turn on Fox because I don't, I don't watch television at home. So it's, it's always fascinating for me to see television when I'm on the road. And, and so I will turn it on and, you know, it's, it's equally fascinating just to see how the production values are, the news presentation, the, the anchors and who they are. Cause I, I'm so out of touch with that unless they, unless they make a social media spill and it, 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 it becomes a big story uh, on the internet. So I'm always fascinated by that. I'm equally fascinated by the commercials because I never see commercials anymore. When I when I watch something at home, it's usually you know Amazon Prime or Netflix yeah. or something yeah. like that. So I'm watching it commercial free. So I, I'm 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 always the first thing I do is I, I turn on the television. I go to Fox uh, News and see what's what they're covering. And this week when I got to D.C. on Sunday, Dan, you know what I did. I what? put it on CNN. I put it on CNN. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. Day before yesterday, I did a entire segment of five people on CNN analyzing this Hunter Biden thing after we had mm-hmm. just presented an hour of factual status on this entire thing. And I got phone mm-hmm. calls. I got texts and emails. People couldn't believe the differences and what they normally see and hear, and what right. they saw right. and heard on the show when I played that, I, I think it was about an 11-minute segment, and people were just shocked that that's actually out there. Yeah. And I, I the reason the reason why I did that is if I'm if I'm going to if I'm going to get news and information from the enemy, I might as well just get it direct from the enemy, not somebody <laughs> pretending to be a friend. Yeah. Oh my you know, gosh. Yeah. that's the way, that's the way I feel about, it. you know, and obviously I monitor all of those sources every single day, just as you do, yeah. Uh, yeah. whether it's, but it's, it's usually, I usually read my news. Uh, it's, it's, I, I go straight to the New York times, Washington post, CNN, blah, 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 right down the line. I'm subscribed to almost all of them. Those, those that are behind the paywall that are major news publications. I have subscriptions. I, again, when I say that I'm not, a, I'm, this costs me money to do what I do. There's just another example of money out of pocket every month to have these subscriptions. And it's not the, you know, I do, I do subscribe to some right wing sources as well. But the point being is, is that uh, I was so shocked, not just not just beginning with the Tucker uh, firing from Fox, uh, although uh, you know we still don't know exactly all the reasons why that took place, but nevertheless, it was a um, a shock to our system because I think most of us believed that if we were going to turn Fox on, at the very least, we were going to get the truth during that one hour of their twenty four hour coverage, and and uh, and that's not to denigrate everybody that's that's on the air there. But the point being is, is that was the first kick in the, in the, you know, the teeth. And then the second one was, is this revelation of 
who their matching contributions are going to corporately. And so that was, you know, that was just kind of the, the end of it for me. And I've known about Rupert Murdoch all along. I mean, I knew I, I reported back in 2016 that he was hosting fundraisers for the Hillary Clinton campaign against Donald Trump. That was, you know, that was in the news, but, uh, you wouldn't know that by even the way CNN and, and all of the other Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, the Clinton News Network certainly wouldn't even cover that, which is pretty amazing. They, they would rather hold Rupert and his Fox News empire uh, to a different standard, uh, whereas they knew as well as I did that Murdoch was hosting fundraisers for the Clintons. So, you know, getting the truth from any side is an effort because you don't get it from one side. As, as I've as I've said many times, and you you and I have talked about before, the the biggest sin of the media is not in what they say to us; it's what they withhold from us. It's the, uh, you know, it's the lie of uh, omission is the, the the biggest problem we have, and that's the that's my main struggle when I go to DC is overcoming the lie of omission because these GOP Congress members and their staff, they don't know because they're in that bubble and they get their news from the same place the rest of the country does. And until somebody comes up and shoves the truth right up underneath their face and says to them, this is what was taking place in that trial or in this circumstance or in this instance or whatever the case may be, they had no clue otherwise. And so that's, that's part of the battle. I mean, part of the battle is, is the guys on your own team don't know what's going on because the information up there is so tightly controlled. In that vein, let me just ask you a very pointed question. Again, you just got back from DC. Are you at home or are you still in DC? I, I just got home last night. Okay. So you're in a better part of the world. You're in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Spending the days up there that you did, and I know what D.C. is like. I've been there many times. Um, and what you came away with right now today, as an example, this show, we started the show with Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden's plea deal. The judge that was a Trump appointee, though she's a Democrat. And the insanity of what, the prosecution and the defense had agreed to be put in and not put in that plea deal. That's what we started the show with. And that's dominating the 24 hour news cycle. What did you find out in Washington DC while you were there this week that you can share with us? And some of it, I know you may not be able to share with us, but what did you find out that's really big and really important? That's not front page news today, Thursday. I think I actually already probably let the cat out of the bag just a moment ago. And this is not a specific thing. This is an overreaching, overarching problem that I'm up against. And that's what I was saying just a moment ago about the, the guys on our team, not really knowing what's going on the guys that are supposed to be fighting for us and we get frustrated at them. We get mad at them about their votes and we get mad about them about the things they might say in a news conference or something that effect. But the, I'll, I'll just, I'll just say this. My, my trip to DC this, this week was not to discover things. This was to reveal things. So I was on the other side of the um, investigative um agenda this time. I was taking to important people things that they're not aware of that they need to know about so that 
hopefully movement can happen and committees can be called and hearings called and people be subpoenaed and, and, uh, and we can dig and, and scratch and crawl, you know, through, through, uh, whatever, you know, mud we have to get to, to get to the truth. And that was the purpose of this week. And I will tell you that by late Tuesday afternoon, I was in such a state of mind related to what I'm talking about right now that I went into a, a long extended, um, uh, uh, text rant with a very close friend and confidant advisor of mine who I've been, uh, who has been such for me for two and a half decades now. And, and because of our own schedules and, and the circumstances were where we were, we couldn't get on the phone and talk. And, uh, he finally called me <laughs> last night and he says, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. He said, well, where, where are we? Where, where are you? What's, 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 what's the state of mind and what's, what's next? And I said, well, I said, that's exactly it. I said, I've, I've reached the point now that I'm going to have to go ahead and drop my stories, the things that I've been working on. I'm going to have to tell them whether I get support or not, whether I get the covering fire that I need from Congress. If you recall, it was on May 3rd, uh, just was, you know, we're getting close to three months ago. I was there in Shreveport and in Shreveport, Louisiana, I met with uh, representative Jim Jordan and Mike Johnson there. And I looked at both of those gentlemen and I said, with all due respect, sirs, and I said these words to him, you don't know what's going on. And, you know, their eyebrows went up and then I went into my 30 second spiel. I got through 30 seconds and then 30 seconds turned into two minutes and I got through my two minute elevator speech and two minutes turned into 10. And by the time I was done with them, they were taking my number down. They were, I mean, Jim Jordan wrote my name and number down himself and put it in his pocket. Um, Mike Johnson promised me that his chief of staff would be in touch with me very soon. That, that the series of meetings that I had this week were the culmination of that three months of frustration of waiting for those promises to come through, but they did happen. So, the, the wheels of progress turned. They just turned very slowly. And then once I laid out for them, and this is what I told, I told Jim Jordan. I mean, just like I'm talking to you right now, I said, sir, I have two stories to tell that I can't tell without your help and without your protection, without your covering fire over me and over the whistleblowers that I want to bring forward. And that got his attention. And so I was able to make that case on Tuesday for four and a half hours to three of his uh, investigators. In fact, it was, it was the weaponization committee's investigative team. I expected as is usually the case, if I get 30 minutes, I'm blessed. If I get an hour, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hit a home run and four and a half hours later, we finally shook hands and departed the room. And they, the last words they said to me, this is an exact quote, you have sufficiently blown our minds. So when I left there, think about that. I got about let me, let me interrupt you. Think about that. Yeah. These are people that this is what they do. This is all what they do. They're hired in most cases to bring expertise and in investigating things like that to the job. And that's all they're doing. And they're in Washington working for some of the most powerful people in the political system 
And you, an investigative journalist from North Carolina, gave them information and facts for four and a half hours that they didn't have. That, my friend, is scary. It is, and it was overwhelming. And, and I, I left there in a completely different state of mind than I anticipated because I should have been, you know, just buoyed and, and excited. And, and, and I, Dan, when I left there, I felt this just heaviness descend upon me for the very reason you just stated is that's how much work has to be done. And I'm not the only one out there. There are good people doing really great work. Um, and it doesn't, you know, look, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a one note Samba. January 6th isn't the only project I'm working on. And in fact, a third of that meeting and then an hour's worth of a meeting I had uh, on Monday afternoon in a different building, a different group of people that I can't talk about right now was on a completely different non-January 6th related subject. But the same thing, these guys just had no idea that this problem or the situation exists in our country. And I was bringing it and laying it out on their, you know, their, their desks. And the, um, the point being is, is that rather than leaving that, um, that meeting pumped up, I left that with a, 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 a much greater burden and heaviness than I'd had before for a couple of reasons. The first reason is, is that, as I said, it's my awareness of how deep the problem is, how, unaware the people that are supposed to be fixing these problems for us are. But thirdly, <laughs> and this was, this, this was stated to me in two different meetings uh, this week is that they asked me point blank, are you prepared for what's coming your way when you drop these stories? And I said, well, I know what is going to happen. I know that the left is going to turn their guns on little old me. I know that the politics of personal destruction are, in fact, part of the game that's played there in that town. If you can't, um, if you can't obscure and you can't cover up the truth that's being presented, then you destroy the messenger. And then, of course, there's the other issue of, as they like to say, you know, in you can uh, you can indict a, um, uh, a ham sandwich. Of course, in D.C., you can convict a ham sandwich. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, and since I've already been in those crosshairs in the last uh, year and a half, uh, it, would, it has the potential to be that kind of trigger to take me to that level. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a burden I carry and I don't, uh, you know, and I, I do everything I can on this show to avoid certain four-letter words, but the, the 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 bottom line is is that my you know my, you know my my give a damn has been broke for a long time. Sure. And and they the government put me in a position, as I've said before, where they weaponized me against them. You know, I had I had this latent side of my brain that has always been. Uh, actively interested in what they were doing and what they were hiding, what they were covering up. And my intelligence was enough that I could sniff out a lie when I heard it or saw it, or when I knew that there was something going on much deeper. And then when they took my job away from me in March of 2020, well, what they're about to get hit with is their fault. Yeah. 
that's how I feel about it. Well, they are big, they are large, and they have a lot of power. And they use that probably way more than even you or I think they do. They use it to quiet the dissent. People that they don't want to be talking about the things that they don't want to get out in the public. Let me give you an example. I'm going to drop a little bomb on you right now. This happened right before we went on the air this morning. Very quietly this morning, the DOJ dropped their campaign finance charge against <laughs> Sam Bankman Free. Yeah. They dropped right. it. That's all that. And the reason they dropped it, and this is, cause, cause, I mean, I'm like you. When I when I heard this, somebody gave me a phone call actually right when it came out. And when I heard it, the first thing I did, when I heard the reason they used to drop it, I just got on the phone and started making phone calls, made about three phone calls, and I found out it was a lie. The reason they say they dropped the charge against Sam Bankman Freed the co-founder of crypto exchange FTX, hundreds of millions of dollars were lost. Well, he was uh, charged with giving $90 million in campaign contributions to about 300 candidates or political action committees. Now, they were going to prosecute him for that. Oh, but we can't do it now. We had to drop the charges. Why? The Bahamas, they said they're not going to extradite. Sam Bankman Friedman to the U.S. So I got on the phone. I have a good friend that lives in Northern California, lives uh, about four blocks away from Stanford University, which happens to be two blocks away from Sam Bankman Fried's parents' home. You may remember that as part of his plea deal to stay out of jail, he has been since under house arrest in Stanford, in Northern mm-hmm. California, and he's there today. And so the DOJ, it I can't imagine them not knowing there's somebody like me out there that would look at this and say, wait a minute, he's not in the Bahamas. <laughs> and I went online to make sure he's under house arrest in Northern California with his parents. This kind of stuff happens every day, and most of the time, phew, goes right over our heads. We don't even yeah. look into it. And of course, we all know now the reason the DOJ dropped the charges is because Dunstan Teo, the guru of cryptocurrency, on this show, he came on this show right after the SBF, that Sam Bankman Fried stuff, came out and went public. Mm-hmm. The first $100 billion of actual direct financial aid the United States sent to Ukraine, it all went through SBF's, his FTX cryptocurrency exchange. And money from that that was diverted to several different non-Ukrainian sources. And then a big chunk of it went to the personal crypto account of Volodymyr Zelensky, president of Ukraine. He came Mm -hmm. on here and he told us that. And he put his neck out there and I got a few nasty phone calls and texts and even a threat and nothing's happened from it. Why? Because it's factual. We just don't know many times what's really going on. And unless people like Steve Baker, Truth News Network, 
TNN Live, unless we don't give up and keep digging, we're headed down a bad, bad road to a really bad, bad place in the nation. We're far, far away from being a a Democrat republic right now. Even though we say we are, you have all these nut jobs on the left. They're screaming and hollering that everybody on the right is destroying democracy. When we're angry and mad because that's not exactly what they're saying they're going to do, they're doing it. They're in full assault of both of the first couple of amendments of the Constitution, which are the fundamental ones that our forefathers made sure the government at that time knew, wait a minute, guys, forever and ever, these don't belong to the government. They belong to the people. And unless the people expressly in writing in agreement give those to the federal government, it stays with the people. Those kind of things are everywhere. And I'm thankful that there are people around the nation that aren't tied to the big New York Times and Washington Post and the Los Angeles Times or the big CNN, MSNBC, and even Fox News networks. There are people out there that are still more committed to facts and truth than they are trying to fit in so they can get a big paycheck. I I hadn't got a big paycheck lately. I don't know about you, but I haven't. (laughs) I'm still waiting on one. (laughs) Yeah, checks in the mail. (laughs) Well, buddy, listen, we we appreciate you here and everything you're doing. We appreciate you sharing it with us. And these Tuesday shows are one of, in our week, Monday through Friday, every week one of our largest listen-to shows. And it's because of the information that you bring us. And uh, as long as you can and as long as you will, we want to claim you as our investigative journalist. And whatever you need to say, if you need a mouthpiece somewhere that's outside of what you can do, and you do have significant influence, everywhere you go, you've got a large following of people that know who you are and what you do. But when you need any time to get outside of that and tap into our sources, you are welcome here at TNN Live. Thank you, Dan. And what I want to say to your uh, audience right now is this, is that I hope that very soon I can stop coming on here and telling you about this thing that (laughs) I've been working on and that I can tell you what that thing is. And that's part of the process that I'm going through right now is making sure that I have the covering fire, uh, that when we, when we drop these couple of stories that it's, uh, you know, I've got as much not just personal protection, because as I told you, it's, it's not about that. It's really making sure that the people that we are trying to protect in the telling of these stories have their protection. I mean, there was a hearing that, you know, the, of all those big hearings that were going on yesterday with Mayorkas and UFOs and, and uh, McConnell having a mini stroke in front of a camera, you know, whatever, you know, whatever, the, whatever was wrong with him, all those things that were happening in, in D.C. for the last couple of days, and particularly yesterday, there was another hearing that was taking place yesterday as well, and it had directly to do with the Capitol Police. And, and as you know, that's been a lot of my work lately, and there were, there were questions asked from the stand that were directly fed, not just, I'm not going to take full credit for it, but it's coming from 
me and sources like me saying, are you going to give these Capitol Police officers the necessary and adequate whistleblower protections that they need to tell the truth, not only about January 6th, but other you know department uh, incompetencies or failures or fraud or whatever the case may be. And, and, and this was in front of the U.S. Capitol Police Board yesterday, the four members of the board. And they all said, absolutely, absolutely, we're going to do that. There's absolutely no reason why we can't uh, give them uh, better uh, protection. And to a man, the Capitol Police whistleblowers that I'm working with all have a particular um, bullcrap version of the word bullcrap when they hear that. And they say, no, that's not true. They will destroy our lives as they have done with the ones who have preceded us if we come forward. Most, that's, most Americans are that's naive. That's a hint as to what I've been working on. Okay. Most Americans are naive at stuff like that, and we think a whistleblower, because the law is there that protects whistleblower from any pushback from anybody just mm-hmm. because they come forward with the things that they're going to reveal. And those two IRS, FBI agents that testified last week, I guarantee their lives yeah. will never be the same. They're under massive assault. Devin Archer... Devin Archer, he's in hiding. He's supposed to testify Monday about the Hunter Biden stuff and the implications that President Joe Biden was definitely involved in all of that. He and his family have been in hiding for weeks because they're afraid for their lives. And we live in the United States of America. Come on now. This stuff isn't supposed to happen. Buddy... You're my hero. Yeah, man. You are my <laughs> hero. And keep it up in any way we can help you. Let us know. Thanks, Dan. All right. Talk to, to talk to you, you soon. Too. You too, buddy. Bye-bye. Steve Baker, as always, what a thrill it is to have him and cahoots with us. <laughs> TNN Live. Hey, what do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Mm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these dolls. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. <gasps> oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no. No. These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to die or any die. Quote to die at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, What is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, that went in my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Join a community of online learning and find your bright future at the American Women's College of Bay Path University. Getting your college education doesn't necessarily make it so you have different self-worth or you mean more. There's so many different roads you can take. But if you have the feeling that you want it, go get it. The American Women's College is supportive and kind. And what you've created has changed lives. And I'm so grateful that I can say I've been part of it. Enrolling now for September and November at baypath.edu slash future. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee, fi, fo, foam. I smell the... I, I smell, uh... 
Something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Taking aim at the noise, the lies, and the disinformation of mainstream media. Your warrior of the facts. Here's Dan Newman. Hey, I got real curious about those two pieces of that plea deal that is no longer in place. The ones where Hunter Biden was going to plead guilty to a couple of uh, tax fraud things, was not going to do any time or anything seriously. And I wondered, what were in those things? Why were they there? Well, here's what was involved in them. He was being excused from $666,666 from taxes on that, from his domestic business interest. That's about 664000 from a Chinese infrastructure investment company, half a million in director's fee from Burisma, $70,000 relating to a Romanian business, and forty-eight grand from the multinational law firm. He further negotiated and executed contracts for business and legal services that paid millions of dollars of compensation to him and or his domestic corporations, that are named Owasco PC and Owasco LLC. All that money, he was getting a free ride from not paying a dime of taxes on that. You or me? I think he'd be under the jail. I'm sure I would be under the jail. I'd be asking for somebody to send me some reading materials. <laughs> Oh, it's great to have Steve Baker with us when he can come. It's great for you to be here every day. Thank you so much for sharing this Thursday. And just know this, wherever we are, we're going to be right here with you at TNN Live.